guys are experts, aren't they? So it's good to see you all this morning. Uh, if I've been a little scarce, I had a little close contact with someone this week with COVID, so I'm taking extra precautions. So out of an abundance of caution, I've been scarce today. So, uh, But it's good to see you all in the flesh and uh, be with you. If you have your Bibles, be turning to the book of, of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We've been in our Peace on Earth sermon series, and uh, it is good to have you. If you're joining us online, it is good that you are with us today, and we are glad that you are with us. We praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ and his ability to change lives through the gospel. Isn't that awesome to see a man get baptized after they receive Christ like that? So we rejoice in Jesse's baptism and the future that God has in store for him. And uh, if you're a guest this morning, we're glad that uh, you've chosen to be with us today and uh, I hope that you got a guest bag. At the, end of the, at the end of the service, we'll have our offering, as has already probably been announced, and you can drop your guest card in that, that, uh, that uh, offering plate. We'll be glad to get that and, and to get to know you on a more personal level, and uh, we hope that you enjoyed the time here. If you're joining us online, uh, we are glad that you're with us as well. We're in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, and uh, I know we have several online, so be praying for those that are in the hospital, uh, Bob Bickett and uh, uh, Mitch Talley's at home, so praise the Lord for that. The Fergusons and the Arnies and Dottie Bartlett and man, Pam uh, Jackson. So there's a lot of folks out at HBF right now, so remember to keep our brothers and sisters in prayers. There's others as well. And so uh, uh, just uh, be praying for them and their health concerns. Uh, this morning, uh, as I said, we're going to continue our series on Peace on Earth. It's a Christmas series, and uh, as we look at Matthew chapter 1, uh, I'll remind you that last week we were in Luke chapter 2 and, and we talked about the, the, the reality of the, uh, the promise of peace, the promise of peace. And so uh, the promise of peace, and we spoke about Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 and some other passages from the Old Testament. Today we're going to examine the person of peace and we're going to be talking about the incarnation, uh, the incarnation. You know, uh, when I used to hear that word incarnation, I'd think about, like, there used to be a breakfast drink you could drink. It was carnation, but it's totally different. Uh, but the incarnation is, is like, this. it's an incredible, it's, an, it's a miraculous thing. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's, it's so incredible because there's a lot of ways we can describe it, but it's really God, you can't describe the incarnation without bringing together God's deity and his humanity. It all comes together. And, uh, it's, and it comes together in a man, and that man is Christ, is God with us, Emmanuel. It's the nature of, of Christ's deity and also his humanity. And uh, it's not an immaculate conception. There's some religious groups that teach that there's an immaculate conception, and that's that Jesus Christ, or that, I'm sorry, Mary was born sinless so that she could end up having the sinless son because they venerate Mary, the mother, instead of Jesus Christ who is God manifest in the flesh. So that's a false teaching. So when we talk about the incarnation, we're talking about something completely different from what's called the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception is a false teaching. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ uh, is all God and he's all man. He's God with skin on. And once he became man uh, in, with skin, I mean, he, he took upon himself uh, the sin of the world. We'll talk about that as we continue. So uh, he is our Prince of Peace, as we saw in Isaiah 9-6. And he was very much awaited for, yet he caught everybody by surprise. And as I was preparing for this message, I thought, how appropriate it is today. Uh, it's something we, we should all be waiting for Jesus at any moment. And yet I think he's going to catch many by surprise. Hey, Barry, I didn't think you'd be here today. It's good to see you. We're praying for Sonny. And it's good to see you, Brian. 
So uh, good to have you in the house. So, and so, uh, so as we look at the record this morning, I want you to look at Matthew chapter one, and we're going to look at the familiar passage at Christmas time, and and just look at this aspect of the the person of peace. There's coming a day after the rapture of the church where there's going to be a false person of peace. So it's important that we get the real thing and we understand biblically who Jesus Christ is, the person of peace, and how he came to this earth. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, uh, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this name of Jesus. It is a powerful name. And uh, Lord, we praise you for bringing uh, yourself to this earth, Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to, to be manifest in the flesh and to die in our place and to rise again the third day, victorious over sin and death, and to bring us together around this holiday, this holiday called Christmas, where we remember and celebrate the incarnation of Christ, God with us, Emmanuel. We pray a blessing now on the reading and the hearing of your word and all the things that are going on at our church this morning. Lord, we're thankful for the baptisms. We're thankful for the, the team that we're going to hear from at the end of service. We're thankful for all the ABF classes that have gone on. We're thankful for the Christmas tree and the ornaments and the boxes that will be going out this time of year. Lord, it's, it's a dark world, and Lord, we are light because, Lord, the light of Christ shines in us brightly. Lord, thank you for the reality of the resurrection in our life and the reality that these are not just cunningly devised fables. These are realities that we can bank our life on, our salvation on, our eternity on. And Lord, may we be ready for you at your coming. And may we have the peace of Christ, Lord, in our hearts that everybody can see in a time when there's a lot of distraught people in this world. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us calm in the midst of the storm and give, give us the light and life to give to everybody we can this Christmas season. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So... So first point here on your outline is, is, you know what God does? He brings peace into problems. Isn't that awesome? Uh, it really is. I mean, God can bring peace into any problem. What we just read here in, in uh, Matthew chapter 1 and in, in verses 18 through 25 is, is a real problem for Joseph, right? He's obviously, uh, he's not immediately down with this, this, uh, this uh, situation that Mary has been overcome by the Holy Ghost and conceived a child. He's like, whatever, Mary. Um, I've got to deal with this. And he's trying to figure out how to put her away, which is, uh, they weren't married, right? They were, they were espoused. But in the Old Testament, it would be, if you're espoused, it's as if you were married. It's everything but the conjugal aspects of it. So he was responsible for Mary. Uh, he was, he was going to be married to her physically. He was gonna, they were going to consummate their marriage, obviously. Uh, it's, it's the way marriage should always be done, by the way. Um, and so uh, and so he, he is now a spouse or engaged, as we would say, to Mary, and she's with child. So what, so 
so what's up? Because he knows he's not the father. Um, he's got a problem. And, of course, under the law, he could put her away, meaning divorce her, but he, she could also be stoned. She could be killed by presenting herself as a virgin and then not being a virgin, especially now with a child. So there's a lot going on. They're not going to stone her. They're going to put her away. He's going to try to figure out how to do all this. And, of course, that's where we engage in this story. Now, before we get to this part, the Holy Ghost has given us this lineage that I didn't read for time's sake, and we could we might touch on it later next week or the week after. Or, uh, but, but the reality is there's a lineage leading all the way to Joseph. Joseph is a key player in the story, even when he doesn't know it. You see, he's a, he's a key man, but he doesn't realize it. As far as he knows, his heritage, his, his, uh, his family line that was a kingly line all the way back to David, it was cut off through Jeconiah. So here he is, as we know, is, is a carpenter. I mean, he's just a dude working, working uh, you know, nine to five, doing what he does. And, and uh, as, far as, as far as who he is, he's nobody. He doesn't really see himself in the story, right? I mean, he just, he's just a guy trying to do what guys do, trying to live under the oppressive uh, economy, right, of the Romans and the taxation coming down from Herod. And, and, and so he's just trying to get by. And he's got this sweet little gal that he's going to marry. He's, I'm sure he's happy. Obviously, he loved Mary. Um, and uh, and he, was, he was happy to be her husband. And now this has come down. And he just didn't see himself as an important piece of, of, of a story. This divine, of course, nobody would. And you don't either. You know, we don't really recognize sometimes the impact that our lives have. But God, uh, God has had him in mind the whole time. He knows exactly who Joseph is. He knows exactly what's going on. And so he intervenes. He steps into Joseph's problem and lets Joseph know, hey, Joseph, listen, uh, for such a time as this, I've got you here. This is all on me, and I need you to go forward and do what I tell you to do. Now in the text, in verse 18, he says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. So Matthew, is, uh, he's, he's writing this out, and he's saying, hey, listen, this is how it goes down. Uh, there's a lot of stories out there today. Uh, at, I mean, Matthew could have said that too. A lot, of, a lot of different renditions of the birth of Christ, but I'm going to give you how it really went down. It went down on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was a virgin. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. That's how it went down. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. So he didn't want to hurt her. He didn't want to do anything uh, to, uh, you know, cause a problem, as many as, li- as little problem as possible in her life. So he's trying to find a discreet way to handle this problem, right? Because he does care for Mary. He's probably, you know, I'm sure his heart's broke, but hey, he's dealing with it. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, now notice this, he says, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. He says, hey, Joseph, you know who you are? You're a son of David. And I, need you to, I need you to man up like a king and do what I tell you to do. I need you to obey me. I need you to take Mary as your wife. Don't be scared, because I'm not going to give you the spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. I want you to take this, this young lady as your wife, because what's in her is not of man. This is of the Holy Ghost. This is a divine act of God. Now, of course, uh, the Jews, even though the prophecies, and we'll look at those once more today, are all laid out from Genesis to Revelation about the incarnation. We look back on it now in retrospect and go, yeah, it's all there. Can't you see it? Joseph would have been like, what are you talking about? Uh, But of course, 
uh, the Bible is very clear in Isaiah chapter 7 that she would come forth and she would, she would be having this child and, she, and he was, uh, and she was a virgin. And so Jesus is the variable that brings peace to all conflict and problems in heaven and earth. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't matter what, you just name the problem, right? Uh, uh, vanilla Ice said, you got a problem, I'll solve it. Listen, Vanilla Ice can't solve his own problem. So listen, I mean, the problems that get solved, all problems ultimately get, resol- get re- resolution through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus steps into a spiritual problem. Anybody got some spiritual problems? The Bible says we all do, amen? We all have a spiritual problem. Uh, either you're lost today, and that's a spiritual problem. You need to be born again. It's even hard to get your head around that concept. That's why we're here to preach the good news of how to be saved. Uh, or you're saved and you've still got this old flesh on, and, and that's a spiritual problem. I mean, it doesn't matter. There, we're in a, we have spiritual problems, and Jesus steps into the spiritual problems. What happens when we, get, we just celebrate the baptism? So what happened to Jesse five months ago when he got saved? Jesus literally stepped into his problems, right? When we get saved, for me, March 25th, 1987, Jesus stepped into this problem called Brian Hedges, and he just completely cut my flesh away uh, from my soul and, my, and with his Holy Spirit. And now I'm sealed until the day of redemption. I'm spiritually circumcised. But I'm still carrying around this carcass, waiting for the day I get it redeemed. You know what? Who's going to redeem it for me? That's right, Jesus, right? He steps into the problem. He steps right in the middle of it. I remember one time we were in Mumbai, uh, Dave Pierce and I, and, uh, and we, man, we had a problem. We got in this taxi with this guy, and you could tell he was a little OCD. I mean, he was just cleaning everything, just, I mean, just clean his spotless little taxi, uh, which that's, man, you got to spend a full-time job keeping everything spotless in Mumbai, let me tell you, especially in the streets of Mumbai. And so, and it was just, he just had everything immaculate, and as, as we're waiting, he's cleaning stuff, and I'm like, wow, okay. And, uh, and so we're driving down the road, and uh, there's, this, there's, a, there's, a, there's a conflict, right? There's a problem. This isn't a spiritual problem. This is kind of like a, a social problem. And so there's, they've had so, so much uh, immigration from the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, countryside of a different caste system that uh, these guys are rickshaw drivers, and, and, and this guy's an actual taxi driver. We're in a real a taxi, not a rickshaw. And, um, and so there's, there's tension. Now, I don't know any of this. I'm just, I'm just in town doing my thing. But there's, these rickshaw drivers uh, are not well looked upon by these taxi drivers to start with. So there's already tension in the community. And we're driving to our spot, right? It's like a union conflict. Anyone been in one of those before? So... Uh, and so, uh, and so this rickshaw driver, boom, he hits this guy's spotless taxi and, uh, uh, oh, it's on. And I mean, we're like a high speed chase, you know, all 30, 40 miles an hour, you know, and we're just, and it's, and they're going, and, the, and, the, and next thing you know, we're in the middle of, uh, and I am not embellishing, Dave could, can verify this. We got our luggage, you know, my whole thing is I got my luggage on top of this thing. And uh, don't lose my luggage, right? <laughs> and, so, uh, and so we finally get stopped in the middle of this road. They just stop in the road. And then the, our guy gets out, and he's screaming. And then the other guy, you know, the rickshaw guy's screaming. And they're, they're probably doing obscene gestures in Indian. I don't know. I don't know any of the, the culture. I don't know what they're doing, but they're, they're ready to fight. And then everybody. So here come all the rickshaw drivers, and here come all the taxi drivers. And, and uh, I'm like, whoa. And I'm like... You know, David's like, should we fight? And I'm like, no. (laughs) 
I'm like, we should grab our luggage. I'm not, this is, I'm not even joking. I'm like in the, I'm like, we should grab our luggage and get out of here. We should just grab our luggage and run. That was what I was thinking. And uh, so we're, we're literally having this conversation. Our, our driver's out of the car now. We're sitting in this car in the middle of the street. Nobody's even in it. And all of a sudden, this guy named Keyshore just walks right in. And he's one of the guys with greater grace, one of the pastors. He's actually got his own church now somewhere in the suburbs of Mumbai. But he, uh, Keyshore walks in. Now, he's unusually big and tall for an Indian fellow. I mean, he is, he's bigger than, and taller than I am. And, uh, and he just walks right in the middle of the situation, like Jesus, man. And he just puts these guys in their place. And he says, you know, like, hey, you and you and, you know. And all of a sudden, there's calm, and our nervous taxi driver gets back in the car and takes us where we need to go. I don't know what they said because I don't speak Hindi. But uh, he settled the matter just like that. It was just, he just stepped right in the middle of the problem. It was like chaos. And man, he walked in. It was like, peace be still. Later on, I talked to Pastor Carl Silva, and he says, oh, man, he goes, that's how it is here. He goes, they're just waiting for someone to bring peace. A lot of that is just, they're just waiting for the peacemaker. I thought, wow, isn't that something? Every place, everywhere. You know what? We're just looking for the peacemaker. We need that person of peace, don't we? That person with the authority that can step in and bring peace to our hearts, to bring peace in the midst of our problems. You see, Jesus stepped into the problem of man's sin as promised in Genesis 3.15. And I know you all know that verse. We've talked about that already. Uh, Jesus, it's a prophecy we talked about last week. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and I shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, we talked last week, Jesus was stepping into the problem of Adam's sin when he pronounced this. And now we're in Matthew 1, and he's stepping into, the, into Joseph's situation, which for Joseph feels like a problem. But really, it's the, the solution. Sometimes God allows problems in our lives that really aren't problems. They're just leading us to the solution, which is it's just him. It's just him. As we, as we saw last week, God didn't hesitate to step into man's mess and make, uh, make up the difference in the Garden of Eden. And so the incarnation of Christ is the fulfillment of what Jesus spoke to Satan in Genesis 3.15. The incarnation simply means the act of assuming flesh or taking human, a human body and nature of man as the incarnation of the Son of God. That's what Noah Webster said in 1828. This is a good definition because Jesus always existed. We see him in the garden. We see him... Uh, as in a theophany, or also called Christophanies, all throughout the Old Testament. That is, Jesus Christ appearing as the angel of the Lord. However, the scripture also says that, that he was around before the world was. Jesus was present uh, in the Godhead before the world was even created. In John 17, in verse 5, Jesus himself said, And now, O Father, glorify thou me in, uh, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was before the world was there would be some that would doubt the deity of christ right is jesus god yes jesus christ is god there's others that as we saw in first john doubt the humanity of christ was he all flesh yes he was all flesh he's all god and he's all flesh hebrews 1 says this in verse 1 god who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. Wait a minute, I thought God made the worlds. Exactly. Who being in the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Well, I thought God spoke the worlds into existence. Yeah, exactly. Jesus did. And when he had by himself purged our sins 
sat down at the right, on the right hand of the majesty on high. So through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So Jesus was al- always was and always is. And the book of Revelation, of course, makes that clear. As he is introduced as the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And, of course, the famous and very uh, common passage we know from John chapter 1 and verse 1 was, In the beginning was the Word, being the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> and the Word was with God. And, of course, it says the Word was God. So you can't divorce Jesus Christ of his deity, but also we see here that he is completely all human. This is an incredible instance in, in uh, human history. It only happened at this one time, and Joseph was all wrapped up in this. So those who want to blame God for allowing evil, don't give him credit for allowing love. And it was God's love that compelled him to step in to save man from the spiritual destruction. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, he's speaking of it, and then we see this is how he fulfilled that. The ex- exclamation point of God's love is the incarnation. And of course, then the death, the burial and then the victorious resurrection. So the incarnation is God stepping into the story as man through the utmost humility to claim those who are lost. He didn't have to redeem us. He didn't have to become man. He chose to become man because he's dealing with our problems. And he personally took on the responsibility of our sin so that we could be saved. So point B, Jesus steps into progressive problems. You see, the problem of man's sin and Satan's rebellion didn't stop in the Garden of Eden. It didn't just end there, did it? From the promised seed to the promised people to a promised land to a promised throne with a promised king, the advance of God's progressive revelation through each dispensation was met with failure each step of the way. God's divine revelation revealed with increasing precision the promised seed, not the seeds. As Paul points out in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, it's on the screen, you can look at it or turn your Bible, but he says, now Abraham is his seed where the promises and I'm sorry, and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, plural, right? As many, but as one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So Paul is clarifying in Galatians 3.16 how we should interpret what God was saying in, in, in uh, the book of Genesis chapter 12 and other passages re- re- referring to the seed of Abraham. He's not talking about his seeds, all the multitudes that are promised to Abraham. He's talking about his seed being the Lord Jesus Christ. He's referring to that, what I like to call the Messiah highway that starts in Genesis and runs all the way up through David's seed, all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ at his, at his coming. And so uh, <clears throat> from the fall of Adam to the flood, uh, flood of Noah, and from the curse of Nimrod to the call of Abraham, and from Exodus of Egypt to the invasion of Babylon, Satan has been trying to outmaneuver the incarnation of Christ. Because though man doesn't understand it, I'm sure Satan is trying to figure it all out and get in front of it. And so when David uh, went to build God a house of worship, you guys know the story back in First Chronicles, he's like, man, I got this big old house and, and uh, you know, God, we're worshiping him out here in this tabernacle, this tent. And so, man, we, man, God, let's build you a house. And, uh, and so God's like, uh, well, dude, David, I don't need a house. Uh, I've never needed a house. Uh, you know, I don't dwell in temples made with hands. Uh, but obviously he did, he did inhabit the, the tabernacle and he did inhabit the pillar and the, and the cloud and he did inhabit the temple. But he, he doesn't need that. He created all things. 
But nonetheless, David, he says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, just because you're such, because I love you and I'm going to do some prophecy here, I'm going to give you that temple. You're not going to build it. Your son will, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and bless your seed forever on your throne. And David's like, whoa, that is over and above what I could ask or even think. And God just puts another dot on the, on the Messiah Highway, the incarnation of Christ and how it's going to come. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, uh, the Bible says in verse 11, And it shall come to pass when thy days shall be expired that thou must go <clears throat> to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me an house, and I will establish his throne. And here comes the big, the big uh, promise. Forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him, as I took it away from him that was before thee. But I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom. Here it comes, forever. And his throne shall be established forevermore. According to all these words and according to all the visions, so did Nathan speak unto David. So God gives David an incredible response uh, to his desire to, to build a, a house of God. And he says, hey, listen, David, on this throne, this throne's going to last forever. And my son's going to sit on it forever, forever and ever. This is an eternal promise. David's like, whoa. Now, we'll deal more with this next week, but I just want to start there because this promise was so tremendous, David could hardly believe it. And the next son to take the throne, of course, was Solomon, and the kingdom reached its apex as a shadow of what it will be when Jesus Christ returns and rules and reigns on this planet. That's primarily what the Jews were looking for, right? They wanted the king to come and throw off this oppression, establish his throne in his kingdom, and give Israel the, the liberty from the Gentile nations that God had promised her. But, of course, Jesus came a little bit differently than many expected. Nevertheless, it would seem that sin had struck its final blow. Because through the line of David, we end up with a king who was incompetent and completely rejected by God. His name was Jeconiah, or also called Caniah. And his seed was cursed from ever, ever ruling on the throne Forever it was cursed. That just happens to be who, who, uh, who Joseph is the descendant of. So God was, was so upset with Jeconiah and his wicked idolatry that he proclaimed to the earth from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost that no seed of Jeconiah shall rule upon the throne of David, uh, upon the throne of Judah to be more precise. In Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 29, the Bible says, O earth, earth, earth. One of the few places where God addresses everybody everywhere in the Old Testament. I mean, he's not dealing with the Jews. He says, everybody everywhere. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the whole earth. Listen to this. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless. I want the whole world to know. Jeconiah is going to be childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Now, I mentioned the, the lineage a little bit ago that precedes our text in Matthew 1. And, and I would point out that in verses 12 through 16 of Joseph's uh, lineage, you will see that Jeconiah is mentioned there. So even though, David, or, uh, even though Joseph had a kingly um, inheritance, so to speak, it was void because the sin of his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather and the prophecy and the curse that came upon Jeconiah 
was also applied to Joseph in regard to sitting upon that throne, though Joseph was a good man. So if Joseph were the father of Jesus, this is why this is so important. If Joseph actually were the father of Jesus, as, as the Pharisees surmise, he was born in fornication, right? That, that, that Mary and, and Joseph hooked up before their wedding and he was found with child. Now they're going to get married and cover it up with the wedding. Uh, not at all. No. Then Jesus wouldn't be rightful heir to the king. Uh, he is the rightful king to the throne of David through his mother Mary, his human side, because she's also of David, but she's through the line of Nathan when you go with Luke and check out her lineage. And so he does have access to the throne, but it's not through Jeconiah, of course, and it's not through Joseph. That line has been blocked to David. And so, uh, so it is interesting, though, that both David's seeds, so to speak, are stewarding the coming of this promised seed that will rule and reign on the throne. So, uh, so Jesus, man, he is punctual. Uh, when he steps into problems. And that drives us all a little crazy, doesn't it? I mean, he is right on time. Not early, not late. He's always right on time. In Matthew 1.18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. I mean, I bet, I bet Joseph was like, man, I wish I'd have known that sooner, right? Uh, I wish I'd have had a little heads up on this. But no, it's right on time. Jesus steps into the problems facing heaven and earth right on time. Galatians 4.4, 4, the Bible says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son and made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now again, Galatians is rich here with information that we need to know to understand a lot about the Incarnation. Uh, and that's why we take every word seriously of the Bible here at HBF. We, we don't just say, yeah, generally. No, the Bible is very precise. The words mean things. When it says they hadn't come together, they had not come together. They had not consummated their marriage. When it says that she was a virgin, she was a virgin. Uh, when it says here that, that, uh, that he sent forth his son in Galatians 4 and verse 4, made of a woman, right? It's, it's identifying the human DNA that's been welded together with the deity. It's not through Joseph's side, obviously. It's through the woman's side of the, of the coin there, of the, of the uh, transaction. So God uh, sent forth his son made of a woman. Right on time, the angel of the Lord stepped into Joseph's problem and, and, and spoke to him through this dream. And though Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost, Joseph probably didn't believe that because if he did, he wouldn't have been seeking a way to put, away, to put her away, right? Right? Uh, and Mary could tell him all day long, really, this is what happened. I mean, I was overshadowed, and he t- this is what... He's like, okay, Mary, whatever. You're crazy. Until he has his dream, and he finds out, and the angel of the Lord speaks to him, and he's like, oh, okay. Right on time. Uh, so belying your virginity, as I've mentioned already, was a serious offense, and he didn't want to, to see her get punished for that. Yet... Um, it's interesting, too, that he was, he was now in a situation where he becomes an adoptive father. He adopts Jesus in that son. That's an easy adoption there. Uh, Jesus isn't going to do anything wrong. He's easy to raise. Uh, and so, so he, he becomes an adopted father. And it says in Galatians 4 and verse 5, uh, to, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. So what's this all about? Well, God says, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer my son so Joseph can adopt him because I'm going to turn the tables so 
someday you can be adopted, right? When we get saved, we get spiritually and physically adopted. We get saved, Romans tells us, we get spiritually adopted in in Romans chapter 6, and then at the resurrection, we're physically adopted. And so it's interesting how these words of God just are so deep with meaning. Uh, And so notice how the Holy Spirit is careful to articulate the divinity and humanity of Christ at the incarnation here as well. It says he is made of a woman. So that woman was Mary, a virgin, before they came together, verse 18 says of of Matthew 1. So Jesus' humanity didn't come from Joseph, but the woman fulfilling perfectly what Jesus had said to Satan in Genesis 3.15. Precisely from the seed of a woman. From the seed of well, we're, we know that doesn't work that way. Children are not just hatched. So, uh, so where did the where did the the male chromosome come from? It came from on high. It was divine. It's from the Holy Ghost. This is the inner in, incarnation. Jesus, fully God and fully man. He is God with skin on. His humanity shows him uh, allows him all the disadvantages of being human, yet without sin. Right? He was made lower than the angels so that he could suffer death. Let's not mistake this. Why did Jesus become a man so he could suffer death for us? You can't kill God, but yet God died for us. How did he do that? He put himself in skin so that he could suffer death in our place. I mean, he took that on. And so it's an incredible thing. People think that God didn't take, doesn't care about humanity and why are all the children starved in Africa? And all of those things are answered in the incarnation. What are you talking about God doesn't care? God has done everything incredibly. I mean, you talk about humility. There's, when you talk about the standard of humility, that's why Philippians 2 is so careful to point that out. The standard of humility is Jesus Christ. You don't, get any more, you don't have any more of a display of humility than the divine display of humility when Jesus became flesh and dwelled among us. Incredibly humble and incredibly loving. It's amazing. His humanity allows him all those disadvantages. And like Joseph adopted divinity in accepting the birth of Christ, the Father in heaven adopts humanity through the redemption of his Son. And so point D, Jesus steps into personal problems. I mean, this isn't just theology, is it? Let's get real. Jesus stepped into Joseph's Joseph's personal problem. And though there is a lot of theology and a lot of high-level spiritual wrestling at play in the incarnation of Christ between God and Satan, and there is. I mean, the whole Bible is leading to this point. It's a huge point uh, uh, in the Bible. He's still dealing with people's personal problems. I mean, so today, while you have the Gentile nations of the world wrestling over authority and power and the middle, you know, peace in the Middle East, coronavirus, you got all of these things going on that are all driving us to uh, you know, an end times climax, a, a false person of peace, all of that stuff that's yet to come. And yet, you know what? God's still concerned about your personal problems. And he will step right into them, right where you're at, and take you where you need to go. God is so good. He stepped right into Joseph's personal problem so that he could help solve the problem. Now think about this, and this is what I want you all here this morning to think about. When you, this is, this for, for, for Joseph, it seems like a personal problem right, with him and Mary. But really what God is doing through his personal problems and through his faith and his obedience is working out. He's working out salvation for the rest of the world. Now just chew on that. Because I know people think, well, who am I? I think that too all the time. Who am I? I'm just a dude. And I am just a dude. Just like you're just a dude or a dudette. Right? We're just people. We're just people. 
Every one of us just kind of roaming through this world, trying to get by. But at the end of the day, when you allow Christ to step into your problems and be your redeemer, and you obey him at his word, and you do the difficult things that he tells you to do, even when they're not comfortable, uh, man, I tell you what, you become a world changer. And the salvation that's offered through Christ, you become a conduit to everybody around you. You become more infectious than the corona variants. I mean, you are, you are somebody that is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And that's what, that's what Christmas is all about, beloved. It's not just about Jesus Christ coming to the world. It's about Jesus Christ stepping into our problems so that we could be filled with the light and the life of Christ so that we could fulfill what it is he was trying to do, that what he was calling out all the way in the book of Genesis, which is reverse the curse of Adam. And beloved, that's what he wants every one of us engaged in. That is why we are redeemed. That's why we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what forever and ever and ever in eternity future, at the, at the, we are going to be noted for the season in history where God's redemptive grace was offered to the world. I mean, it's an incredible thing that God gives us just because, well, just because. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of what we do. It's because of who he is and what he has done. And when we can embrace it and we can believe it and we can receive it, man, all of a sudden your personal problems get turned around and they become something that God propels you forward in faith. And you become a solution instead of a problem. So what problems are you struggling with this morning? Can you trust God to step into them? That's really the issue. Will you believe God at his word? And if not, this is the question you have to wrestle with. Why not? Why won't I? Why don't I? Because that's not his problem. That's our problem. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we have to trust God at his word. We've got to believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So point two, the purpose of the person of peace. In verse 21, it says, And he shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus presented himself so that he could provide all of our need. Why did he come to this world? Because he wanted to provide. So at Christmas, we have this tradition uh, in the West of exchanging gifts, right? We exchange gifts at Christmas. Why do we do that? Well, just because we want to we keep the market going. We want to keep the economy going, right? That's why we do it. No. Oh, because we're greedy. Well, that's probably true too. But at the end of the day... We exchange gifts because we're remembering the gift of life. We're remembering the gift of Christ, right? So Jesus Christ, he came to present himself to Israel as Messiah. Through angels, though, I'm sorry, though angels celebrated and, and shepherds proclaimed the birth of Christ, Israel as a whole went on about their business. The Prince of Peace was born, but it would, it would take wise men from the east to awaken the powers that be, that something supernatural had transpired in their midst. Nobody knew it. These shepherds go out and proclaim it. Nobody's listening. And everything just goes about, man. The trucks keep rolling through Bethlehem. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, everything just keeps on trucking. And everybody just keeps on going. Bethlehem was a crossroads town, by the way, where all the trucks tra- uh, went through. And they didn't have trucks, but, you know, camel trains. And, uh, and they would go through, and a lot of commerce was happening, a lot of truck stops and all that stuff. And, and things just kept on moving. Nobody knew something special was going on in Bethlehem. Other than the, the shepherds and other than Mary and Joseph and other angels rejoicing, you know, that might get some attention. Nah. You know what? There's miracles. There's miracle happening. There's miracles happening in this church every week. You know, people, there's nothing on the news about it. You're going to, you know, Fox News isn't going to pick it up. CNN's not going to pick it up. Local news isn't going to pick it up. 
But beloved, what you're engaged in with the gospel, man, presenting the, the Lord Jesus Christ to others, it is big news in heaven. The angels rejoice when someone gets saved. So they didn't arrive uh, the evening of Jesus' birth as, as many nati- uh, nativity scenes. I mean, I'm talking about the wise men. Those wise men didn't just show up the night Jesus was born. The, the Bible suggests that he was a young, not suggests, it, it puts forth that he was a young child, perhaps a toddler. Jesus was you know, just under two years old. And uh, we know that because the wise men found Jesus and they worshipped him and provided him and Joseph and Mary treasures and then they departed, never going back to update Herod of, the, of his whereabouts. And for time's sake, I'd like to read it, but we don't. In chapter 2 of Matthew, it lays all this out uh, in verses 1 through 15. There's a full account. But what happened was that but Herod, he, he's trying to play on these wise men. They show up to town. They're like, hey, where's the king? He's like, what king? I'm the king, right? Where's the one that ever, you know, where's the one the Bible talks about? We've, we've seen his star. We followed it. We're here. We want to worship him. Oh, well, let me get the Pharisees in here. Let's see this prophecy. Oh, yeah, there is a prophecy of one born in Bethlehem. Yeah, go find him and let me know when you get him. I want to come worship him too. And, of course, as they do find him and they do worship him, the, the, the Holy Ghost lets them know, uh, no, you don't go back to Herod. And so they worship him. They leave him money. And they depart. And then the, the Lord tells Joseph and Mary, hey, why don't you roll on out and go to Egypt? And Herod, of course, as we know, made a decree to kill everyone that was two and under. Why? Because Jesus was a threat. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But the reality was his, his announcement, him, him coming to Messiah, presenting himself as, as Messiah was rejected. Hosea says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. That's a prophecy referring to Jesus Christ going down to Egypt and then coming back out, even though it's a veiled one. Suddenly, the Gospel of Matthew and Luke uh, jump to Jesus' public ministry. When you go through the Gospels, it goes from this time where, where uh, Herod's after him, and he goes to Egypt, and all of a sudden, after that, he's, boom, we jump up 30 years, and, and it's his public ministry, and he's getting baptized by John. This is because he came to present himself uh, to the Jews as their Messiah. And of course, we, we know he came to his own, and his own received him not. So he came to present himself as Messiah, but he also came to present the atonement for the sin of the world, as we clearly see in verse 21. He shall save his people from their sins. First John 3, 5 says, and, we, and ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So most of us aren't Jews, and, and uh, we're not coming to Christ uh, as a Jewish Messiah but it is important to understand that he came to his own first, right? But yet he came to die for the sin of Adam's fallen race. And so the third thing is, is to illuminate the way of peace. And I love this passage in Luke chapter 1. Uh, there's a prophecy to Zacharias, uh, the, the father of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And in that vision God gives John, uh, he tells him that, that, uh, that Jesus is going to, that John the Baptist, I should say, his son, will light the way of peace. Luke chapter 1 and verse 76 says, And thou, child, uh, shalt be called prophet of the highest. Now he's referring here to John the Baptist. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The way of peace. What was John the Baptist supposed to do? Point people to the way of peace. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. How do we get peace? I just told you earlier, every conflict ends with Jesus Christ. We get peace through Christ. 
There's a reason a lamb was killed in Genesis, right? Or an innocent animal was killed and those skins were put on Adam and Eve to picture for us the redemption of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And that's how he was introduced twice by John the Baptist. And so all as the angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph in the dream, he, he illuminates his understanding of the incarnation. He says, hey, Joseph, this is what's going down. Uh, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is Savior. He is the Savior, and he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall uh, bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted, God is with us. And so in Matthew, the, Matthew quotes that when God gave this download to Joseph, what he is doing is letting Joseph know that I am fulfilling the book of Isaiah, chapter 7 and verse 14, the birth of Christ. It says in Isaiah seven fourteen, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, and uh, shall call his name Emmanuel. That, of course, means God with us. There's also a mention of Emmanuel in Isaiah 8.8. 8. Now, this deals with Sennacherib, uh, that Assyrian king who was taking uh, Israel captive, actually. He goes all the way down, if you know the story of the Old Testament, he goes all the way down into Jerusalem, surrounds Jerusalem. I mean, he is absolutely, talk about a problem. There's a big problem. And God brings a miraculous victory there. Uh, in the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 8, and verse 8, it says, And he shall pass through Judah... Talking about now, initially, historically, talking about the Assyrian, Sennacherib. He shall over, uh, overflow and go over. He shall reach under the neck and stretching out of the wings and shall fill the breadth of the land. O Emmanuel. And then at the end, after the comment, says, O Emmanuel. So on one hand, historically, they're crying out, O God, be with us. And then God takes that prophecy and reverses it and says, Yeah, the public ministry of Jesus Christ overflows. And it comes down from the north, right out of Galilee. When he comes out of, out of the, he was in the, he was obviously, obviously born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Galilee, and his ministry overflowed, went into Samaria. I must needs go to Samaria, he says. Why? Because he's presenting himself as Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus' birth was miraculous. His ministry is miraculous. He came to present himself to us as our Savior. So it should be precious. You know, today you get a gift and you shake the box, you open it, and then, you know, a day, a week, a year, a decade later, usually, not always, but usually that's, it's not what it was, right? It kind of loses its shine. Hey, listen, the gift of Christ, it is, it is so precious. And so we should value the precious nature of the person of peace. The last two verses close like this. Then Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. You see that obedience? And he took unto him his wife. And he, he possessed it. He took hold of the problem. God gave him the strength to take a problem he was trying to get rid of and embrace it. You know, you'll, you'll never deal with problems unless you embrace them. And you can't embrace those problems unless you have God's word on it. It's, it, takes, it takes the word of God to do that. And so he takes, him, takes her as his wife, and, and he knew her not. See, he's obedient. And she had brought forth her firstborn son, and, she, and he called his name Jesus. He had the privilege, by the way, of calling Jesus Jesus. Of course, God told him what to call him, but that's, that's cool. He gets, to, he gets to name his son. So we should not hold our place. Um, <clears throat> we should not hold, I'm sorry, or place anything or anyone ahead of Jesus Christ, the person of peace. So I want to just briefly touch on these things. i got a lot of blanks, but we'll go quick. First of all, uh, the nature of Christ is perfect. That's what we learn from the incarnation. There's no sin in him. Though he is all God and all flesh, there's no sin in him. The nature of Christ is perfect. 
He is the precious Lamb of God. We've already touched on that. He's also the prophetic Word of God. When you get into the New Testament, into Revelation, prophecy is uniquely tied to His testimony. He is the, pre- the prophetic Word of God. He is the high priest of God. Right? We learn in Hebrews, he's a better priest. He's better than Aaron. He's after the order of Melchizedek. He is a, he is a high priest of God. He is a righteous king of kings and lord of lords. He is the perfect judge of all. He will ultimately, at the great white throne, judge everybody everywhere. Like Everything is judged. The church is judged at the judgment seat of Christ. The world is judged at the great white throne judgment. He is the perfect judge of all. He is the personal savior, and he is the everlasting God. And he is precious, beloved. He is precious. The nature of Christ is is also preeminent. I don't think probably in this crowd we're going to have a hard time agreeing that the nature of Christ is precious. I think we all understand the value uh, just in the context. But I think the thing that we need to, to really chew on is the preeminence. When you read Colossians, when you read Revelation chapter three, when you when you when you're here, right? We're all here. Preeminence is what we wrestle with. Uh, we live in an age where, it, where we don't want to make him preeminent. We, we have problems, but we don't invite him in. The nature of Christ is preeminent. So let me give you some things to worship. Uh, well, there's only one thing, and that's Jesus. Let me give you some things not to do. That's what I'm going to end on a negative, which is never a good thing, but I'll, I'll wrap it up and we'll be happy. Number one, worship Jesus, not education. You know, when we were in, when we were in Boston... I was shocked that, uh, you know, a lot of the people who respond to the gospel there are in their master and doctorate programs, which blew me away. You know why? Because they finally saw through education. Now, don't get me wrong. Education is a good thing. I'm not talking about being educated and having knowledge. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm talking about being on the, 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 the treadmill, that this is going to solve all your problems. It's going to meet all your needs. It's going to open all your doors. It's going to be everything. Of course, everyone knows that's baloney. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. Worship Jesus, not not your employment. Man, some people, especially men, you can worship that job. I know when I worked in the business world, I had to I had to turn it off. I had to go to the parking lot every day and say, God, this isn't more important than you. I'm going to turn this off. I'm going to go home. You know, many are also working for the weekend, right? And they're on that treadmill of life. You know what? You need to check out of that thing and put Jesus first. That gives you a reason to go to work. That gives you a reason to earn money so you know how to invest it, so you know how to, to engage your life in something that's eternal. I remember the second week of my employment at, at, uh, at Fagan, and, and I'm saying this out loud so people that work there know, but Larry Martell, he, could, he can vouch for this. He was having me bid jobs, and, and uh, I had to go in to Larry. And Larry's no guy you tell, tell no to, especially when you're a greenhorn. And I just had to tell him. I went in the shop and said, Larry, I am so sorry, but I cannot come in and work every Saturday. Uh, I know we got to bid jobs, but I got, I got a ball team I'm coaching at the church. I mean, that's, that's, I already made the commitment. I got parents and kids, and I took this Saturday off so that I could be here to do this. But I mean, I can come in other times. I'll work overtime. I'll do whatever, but I can't come in. on. I can't do this. I got I to gotta meet my commitments. God's called me to that. And you know what? Fortunately, he, he honored that. And I, he didn't fire me. He could have, but he didn't. And he, chose, and he chose to give me grace there. You know what? That was a good step for me. I didn't realize it, but God was showing me, you know what, Brian? You've got to put me first. Seek me first. Now, it doesn't mean I shouldn't work hard or 
work extra, right? I mean, I was thankful for the opportunity, but it was about prioritization, right? What are we worshiping? What are we worshiping, right? And, and, and you know what? If it gets in the way of me worshiping God, it's out. Worshiping Jesus, not entertainment. Boy, today, we, that's the thing we like to do today. We can, I mean, the government will pay you to stay home. So you can just entertain yourself away, right? Binge watch. I hear very prominent people talking about binge watching Netflix. I'm like, how in the world do you have time to binge watch anything? I don't know about you all. I don't have time for all that. But I, entertainment's a big thing. I mean, people just seeking ways to be entertained constantly. Like the Epicureans in Mars Hill, always looking for some new thing, right? Some new thing to tickle their ears, some new thing to, to put in their cranium, right? That's kind, of what, that's kind of what entertainment is like as we draw closer to kickoff. And, uh, and so I'll be done. And so worship Jesus, not economy. Uh, you know, so that goes, that's close with uh, what I already said about your employer. But some of us uh, maybe have a little bit more fluence, right? So it's not just about having a job and employment. It's about, man, I'm, I'm about making some ma- money. I'm, I'm capitalizing on capitalizing. And by the way, this is a good time to capitalize on capitalizing. And so, you know, nothing wrong with that. Do knock yourself out. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. There is not. Just like there's nothing wrong with working hard. You should work hard. Just don't worship it. Just don't worship it. Just don't worship it. Hey, money's gonna, it's gonna sprout wings and fly away. You cannot take it. Nobody ever drove that U-Haul, right, to the, to the graveside. It's all gone. So make sure you're investing in things that are truly profitable. Leverage financial wealth for spiritual uh, gain because that's the only way you're gonna have anything eternal of value. Uh, the fifth thing here is uh, anyone, all right? Gotta throw that in there. You know what, don't, don't worship Jesus above anyone else. You know what Joseph had to do? He had to say, you know what, I'm going to set myself. You know what people were saying? All the way up to John chapter 8, the Pharisees are pointing the finger at Jesus, saying, you're born of fornication. So what was happening? Joseph was taking it on the chin. There's nobody that believed. I would say nobody, but very few people would believe. I know Elizabeth and Zechariah believed, but very few people believed that this, this birth, this, this child was actually divine. So what's Joseph doing? He's eating crow. For Jesus. He's not letting anyone or anything get between him and his relationship with every day he is worshiping Jesus. Some of you guys know what that's like. You go to work, hey Jesus, what's going on? Hey, holier than thou. And you catch all that flack, you know what you're doing? You're worshiping Jesus. God's boy. Hey, just keep it up. Just keep it up, man. Keep loving God and loving people. Don't worship any any uh worship Jesus above anyone else. That could also be your wife and kids, right? You can't put your wife and your kids or your husband and your kids or your parents. Now, we should honor our parents, no doubt about it, but not more than we honor Jesus. I'm so thankful for my my mom. It's so good. I was like tiptoeing on the New Year's Eve or the Christmas Eve service, you know, a few years ago when we were going to start that. And, you know, it was it was a tension. I mean, I felt compelled because we had people calling. Do you have a New Year or do you have a... We had a New Year's Eve too once, but do you have a Christmas Eve service? And it's like, man, we really ought to provide that. I mean, there's people in the community calling, and I'm like, but it's our family tradition. And uh, you ever feel that kind of tension? You know, my mom's like, hey, Brian, you're a pastor. You got to do what pastors do. Thanks, mom. You know what she's saying? Don't worship us. Worship Jesus. And that's nice. It's nice when you put Jesus first, isn't it? 
It makes things go better in all your relationships. Worship Jesus above above uh, anything else. That's the last one, right? Anyone or anything. You get, it all lumps under those last two. Anyone or anything. So, some, sometimes it is not. It's not. It's not a person. It's a thing. It can be a silly thing. I literally was up at Mammoth. <laughs> I had this old Ford pickup truck, and it was sentimental to me. It had it had significance in ministry, and it was tied to. To Mike Blake, it was tied to a lot of things, tied to my first pickup truck. It's all, all these emotions tied to this stupid piece of metal. And um, the transmission goes out on it, you know, and it's like 1200 bucks or something to replace it. And I'm like, I'm like, it was probably more than that, honestly, because it, it was messed up. It's old, 30 years old. And, uh, and it's like, I'm, I'm wrestling in my mind. I'm like, this thing is 30 years old. It's an antique, though. And I'm trying to... And if I fix it up, and if I put money, the truth is, I'm, at, I'm actually at Monmouth at their vision conference, and I'm speaking. And I'm talking, I don't remember exactly the verse, but I'm, I, don't, I, remember, I remember like, playing, and I'm up there, and I just make this, this bold statement about priorities and pri- prioritizing Christ, preeminence of Christ, and not, and not worshiping things. And man, God just says, yeah, Brian, you know what you need to do. You need to let loose of that old piece of junk. I'm like, oh gosh, okay. So I literally, after I got done speaking, I got on the phone, dee, 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 made some phone calls. It was gone within the next 15 minutes. I had a, I had a guy buy it, and it was all. What was it? I was just holding on to things. You know what, guys? God, I mean, it's stupid stuff. I remember David Ripley had a story one time of a, of a preacher. He he was holding on to a shotgun. Same thing, sentimental value. He had this shotgun his dad gave him. And someone needed to go there. He, he knew it. He was convicted about it. It was on the mantle. So he took it off the mantle, and he sold that shotgun so this guy could go to the mission field. You know what happened? God gave it back to him. And he never put it on the mantle again. And so that was, I, always, I, I heard that 30 years ago, about the time I got my old truck. <laughs> so <laughs> never forgot that story. The point is simply this. Sometimes you've got to let go of things. Stupid things. I'm not talking about sinful things. I'm just talking about stuff. And just let go so that God can have his way in your life. Because the most important thing about this story today, we talk about the person of peace. You know what? Joseph would have had no peace if he would have fought God one iota. No, God! He didn't do that. He's like, yes, God. What you say, God. What I do, God. He's obedient. He wasn't like Jeconiah. He wasn't like his great-great-great-great-grandpa. He was, he was a guy who said, you know what, God, you said it. I believe what you say. I'm going to do what you say. I, I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to love you because you're loving the world. And it, I'm, going to, I'm going to believe your word because the Bible tells us in John 14, 15, if you love me, you keep my commandments. In the midst of a crisis pregnancy, God met him in his problem and brought peace to his heart about the path forward for the sake of not only of his life, and not only of Mary's life, not only of Jesus' life, but for the sake of the whole world. Do you see that? When we obey God, it affects the world around us, and it has ripples and implications that you can, we'll never know until we get to the judgment seat of Christ. And so you may feel like uh, your life is mundane and average, but you, you are a steward of the gift of God if you're born again this morning. And God wants to use you to reach this world. Very literally, maybe God's calling some of you this morning, to be missionaries or pastors uh, or, or, uh, or, or to, to, uh, to go out and, and uh, be a church planner, whatever the case may be. We have discipleship 
from A to Z here. We can equip you and train you to do whatever. Maybe God's calling you to get involved in teaching the Bible or mow the lawn. I don't care what it is, but God wants to move you. He wants to get in your life and move you, but there's something in the way. Hey, would you let God's word speak to you? Would you take the things that God is saying to your heart? Would you acknowledge them? Maybe write them down even on your note sheet. Would you do business with God? Because this is a time of Christmas. This is a time of giving, but we can't give to anybody if we haven't given ourselves over to God's will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to meet together and to, to meditate on the person of peace, the Lord Jesus.